Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash Radio. And welcome to another morning of political talk. We are in the throes. We are in the thick. We are in it. Game on. It's post-Labor Day, the traditional start of the election season. But I must say... This election season, or this election, feels like it has gone on forever. At this point, I am, well, even the political junkie in me is actually saying, enough. It's the same thing over and over. Can't we just vote already? It's almost over. Trump versus Clinton, how did we get here? It's almost, it's just shocking when you think about it that we have the two most unpopular candidates in the history of American politics running for office against each other. The only person I think, well, let's just put it this way. I think many of the other Republican candidates could have beaten Hillary. And I think other, like Joe Biden, for example, for certain, would have beaten Trump and you know probably Bernie Sanders. So these two candidates are so flawed, so fundamentally flawed, so unbelievably flawed. It's just it's just enough already. Uh, you know, it's like the same thing every single day. You know, more about Hillary and dishonesty and the emails and the foundation, and it just goes on and on and on. Just more evidence about why she and Bill should not be back in the White House. Just more to say that we're just sick of the Clintons. Just enough, ride into the sunset, make your millions, take your $10 million a year. Does she need to be president? I mean, she can't even answer these basic questions about emails going on and on, and the drip, 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 the continuous drip of information. I mean, let's be honest here. If it wasn't Hillary Clinton... Whoever it was that destroyed emails, destroyed evidence, sent classified emails, did a perfect server for all the excuses in the world, that person was probably going to be prosecuted. There's no question about it. I understand the standard is higher. I understand it's ridiculous. But let's be honest. She probably would. This person probably would have been prosecuted. Others have been prosecuted for less. But she's not. And she's moving on. And, you know, despite the flawed candidate, as flawed as she is, it seems that they're running a pretty good campaign. But her negatives continue to climb, and she just cannot seem to have this fun. There's a fundamental disconnect with Hillary Clinton that she just feels that she just, you know, well, well, I was right. I was right. I did everything. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I could have been better, but, but in the end, you know, really didn't do anything wrong. I don't think she really believes that she did anything wrong. I think that the Clintons just believe that they're above everything and they can run the government or run the foundation or run the state department although look these excesses are only exceeded by what i can only term this megalomania on the part of donald trump i mean it's just it's astounding that this man that donald trump is running for the presidency of the united states it's just astounding, and it's astounding that so many Republicans voted for him and still did not have this fundamental realization that Donald Trump doesn't represent the Republican Party, he isn't a conservative, he doesn't actually have any convictions, 
He doesn't have any policy experience. He doesn't seem to understand policy. He seems to be totally ignorant of the issues. He seems to be have no positions that you can actually pin him down on every day or every hour. It's actually different. He insults people. He insults major segments of the electorate. But yet, in a large degree, you could say this race is too close to call. This race is undecided. Now, it's not really undecided from my point of view. And I'll get to discuss that in a second. Because fundamentally right now, despite the fact that it's still within striking distance, and it probably shouldn't be, because if you take all of Donald Trump's flaws as a candidate and as a campaign, there's just no way, and his self-inflicted wounds and his inability to kind of seed the spotlight, to let Hillary bask in the morass of her poor decision-making... And yeah, that's what it is. I mean, she just has made tremendously poor decisions with very sensitive information. But on the other hand, Donald Trump has not let the public or the Republican Party enjoy the moments because he's continued to essentially torpedo his own campaign on a continual basis. His need to control the spotlight, his need to be in the news on a constant basis is fundamentally showing that he shouldn't be president either. And really, that's what we I've kind of come out to. Neither one of these two people should be president. So let me just get, just get back to that first thing. I'm kind of sick of this race already. I'm just kind of sick of the whole thing. And you know, you, t- you watch the cable news going on, and it's the same formula day after day. You know, Trump says something incredibly stupid, so they talk about it and debate it. Did he mean it? Did he not mean it? What do they mean? The Trump supporters try and reinterpret it. The other, the Clinton supporters, try and attack it. The anchor, the moderator, seems to try and separate the wheat from the chaff there, which is certainly not easy. This whole moral equivalence or the truthful equivalence thing of, of Trump's... I think what is willful exaggeration, you know, kind of the old truthiness to borrow to borrow a Stephen Colbert term of of yesteryear, truthiness. I think that that is kind of where I come out with Donald Trump, but that can't be matched by what I perceive to just be this fundamental, incredible dishonesty from Hillary Clinton, just over and over the the lying, the outright lying that we've seen uh, with regard, and particularly with regard to the emails, but there are other things as well. And we've seen it over and over. We've seen Hillary just fudge and dodge and just, well, just to a point. And then, so, of course, they go ahead and they discuss that. And the Trump people attack her, and they don't want to talk about him because they want to attack her. And the Clinton people don't want to talk about her. They don't want to defend her. They just want to attack him, and it goes on and on. And that's kind of the entertainment for the day. You know, there's no question, I, from my point of view, that Donald Trump will make a more entertaining presidency, a more entertaining president. But that's not really what I want out of the commander-in-chief. And it's just hard to think about how flawed these two are and how really unappealing the choices are for the electorate. So 
Let's just take a look at politics then for a second. Forget about the two of them. Okay. You know, maybe, you know, and right now, as I says, you know, just to say, to be honest, I'm not voting for either of them. So let's just lay that out on the table. I am not going to vote. Donald Trump has not convinced me as a Republican that I should vote for him. And there's very little that Hillary Clinton could convince me to, do, to say or do or could say or do to convince me to vote for her. So it's looking like minor parties for me. And it's probably not going to be Jill Stein of the Green Party. So we're kind of looking at Gary Johnson. I don't know, not sure Evan McMillan is going to make it onto the ballot here in New York. But that's kind of what it's looking at. But enough about me. Let's just, let's just talk politics for a second. You know, the whole concept here, of course, when Donald Trump was running for the nomination was that well, this is a guy who's going to redraw the map of American politics. It's all going to be redrawn. He's going to bring states into play, etc. And, well, that's kind of happening in a way. I mean, the map is being redrawn to a certain degree, but not necessarily in a way that's fundamentally good for Republicans right now, at least from what I say. And, yes, look, I don't want to dispute. There are close polling in many states there's a lot of close polling out there. And overall, you can look at this past weekend, you could say Donald Trump is ahead in some national polls. And yes, he is. Which, as crazy as that might be, given all his missteps, given this lack of a campaign, given the lack of discipline, given the can well, all message, etc., that, that's all there. But the electoral map now looks really, really daunting for Donald Trump or for the Republicans in general. And... The Senate race map also looks kind of daunting right now for the Republicans. But just to say for a second, you know, we're, you know, redrawing the map. You know, there was this perception that, of course, Donald Trump could win these blue-collar states, the Rust Belt states with the job losses. You know, the Ohio, he's going to win Ohio, he's going to win Pennsylvania, he's going to win Michigan, he's going to win Wisconsin. Those places that really, and he was going to put places like New York in play, and he was going to go ahead and compete in the West Coast, he was going to compete in all different places. But it looks like the places that are in play, or that are kind of the surprises of this election right now on a state-by-state basis, and that's really what matters, are actually some pretty red states, like Georgia, like Utah, like Arizona, and Texas, places where... Hillary's running strong right now. Now, at the same time, Trump is running surprisingly strong in some other places, which is, you know, when you think about it, is, is pretty interesting. Actually, it's very interesting. When you think this, the, whole, the whole scrambling of the electoral map. But right now, Trump's path to victory is exceedingly narrow from an electoral college perspective, particularly with the fact that Virginia, with Tim Kaine as a nominee, has really kind of got to get out of reach. Colorado was kind of out of reach. There are a number of states that he kind of needs to win. And this is something that I've said over and over, that I said to people when, in the run-up to the convention, and probably before that, towards the end, you know, when people were kind of thinking, okay, well, Trump, it's, it's, it's looking, you know, he was wrapping up the Republican nomination, he's going to win. I looked to myself and I looked at the map and I said, name a state and come up with a state where that Mitt Romney lost 
that Donald Trump is going to win. And to me, right now, there are very, very few. And if you look at it now, Clinton's chances, despite the fact that national polls being what they are, it looks like Clinton is still going to, you know, has a very, very good chance of winning because all the states, many of the states that matter, Clinton is still up. Now, she might be up by within the March very might be up in some pretty, you know, small places. But all in all, it looks like she is actually going to win. And, you know, take it. And as I said, you know, look at some of these states like Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina, Indiana even, where the polling looks very good, you know, the, well, enough to make it in play. But the ones where Clinton's polling is strong, the swing states, Virginia, New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Colorado, Nevada, Ohio, Florida, and Iowa, those are seem right now to have very solid chances to go for Clinton. And the state like Michigan, where they thought you know Trump was going to win, that's kind of out of reach, and that's the Rust Belt state. So the scrambling electoral map is actually what what's done right have, have right now has actually put the electoral map in a way that's actually more favorable to the Democrats. Now, can Trump still win? Yes, he can. He can win. But right now, if you look at the map, you have to look at it and say, Trump has to win Florida. Okay? It's got to happen. There's no way. Otherwise. Now, he's got to win Florida. He's got to win Ohio. Okay? And, but let's say he loses Ohio. He wins Florida. Sorry, he wins. He loses Ohio. Then he's got to win Georgia, Michigan, North Carolina, Arizona, Colorado, South Carolina, Iowa, Nevada. But if he wins Ohio, he could, in theory, lose Georgia. But he's got to win Michigan, and he's got to win North Carolina, and he's got to win Arizona, Colorado, South Carolina. So the the, the chances are get particularly slim for Trump. And now, where's the impact here? Well, you have significant impact here on Senate races, where Trump, in many of these states, is polling very poorly, like North Carolina, significant number of African Americans, and I know that there's the the vaunted Trump outreach to the African American community, of course, that's going on. But it's not there. I mean, I actually believe in many cases. It, I think his outreach has actually been worse. He's probably better off doing nothing. Um, you know, he's at zero or 1%. And based on you know, the things that I've seen, he's probably going to stay there because he can't stop, you know, from my perspective, insulting people. But let's just go with that. I mean, Georgia is, you know, is one of those states. But North Carolina, very, t- you know, very fraught election race for Senator Richard Burr. Uh, Illinois, where everybody expects Senator Mark Kirk to lose. Wisconsin, where many people expect Senator Ron Johnson to lose. 
Republicans will hopefully, or probably, I should say, I don't want to reveal too much bias, but probably pick up a seat in Nevada, the open seat for Harry Reid. They are expected right now, although it's close, to lose the New Hampshire seat with Kelly Ayotte. So there's a lot, you know, potentially they lose, although it looks like they might hold their own in Pennsylvania with Pat Toomey and in Ohio with Rob Portman. Now, these are tough, very tough races right now and a very tough electoral map for the Republicans to keep the Senate. And it's tough. This is a, it's a very, and Trump has not made it easy to reach out for many, you know, many of the candidates running don't have the same skills as far as marketing themselves and that Trump does. And without those, they're kind of left with his baggage, but without his appeal in many different cases. So they're kind of looking at that and trying to figure out, well, you know, they're wagging how much of a weight is he on the senators running. So I watched the national security interviews that Matt Lauer did on the intrepid, uh, beautiful theater, etc. And this just confirms everything. I just, it's just wildly disappointing. I mean, yes, Hillary is very substantive, but truthfully, at this point, it's hard to listen to her speak. And for some reason, Matt Lauer thought the emails were a matter of, you know, talking about the military. But, you know, so of course we go right into that and it's making me ill already. But what the second half of the hour of that special was, uh, it was Lauer interviewing Trump, and I thought he tried to do a good job of getting some, and some of the questioners tried to do a good job of getting Trump to actually provide some details on the things that he wanted to say. But there was just some shocking stuff in there. And so shock. I just feel like, I, I, you know, it just, I mean, he said some things. It's as if, Who's he talking to? I mean, he talks about taking the oil. Once again, this has always been a favorite thing of his. Let's just actually start from the beginning. Donald Trump continues to repeat this idea that he was anti-war, that he was against the war, he was against the Iraq war from the beginning. Hillary Clinton was not, and therefore he's against the war. It's not true. I mean, maybe he was in his heart very against the war, but the only statement he made for or against the war before the Iraq war started was that he was for the war. And he gave many statements, or several statements, over the course of the beginning of the war, talking about the and, and you know, and not opposing it. And then, yes, afterward, he started talking about it, it was a mess and started opposing it. But there's no question, the only public statements he made, he was for the invasion of Iraq. You know, but I don't think these things matter to him. The fact that he said something one day really doesn't matter to him as far as the next day. So we'll leave that aside. But, you know, he talks about as if he talks when he gives these answers, it's as if he talks and he's teaching every nobody he, he found out this revelation and that he knows it and therefore he's kind of a little bit smarter than everybody else. He talks about taking the oil. We should have taken the oil. We blew it in Iraq. We should have taken the oil. And he says, you might not know this map, but Iraq has a lot of oil. A lot of people don't know that. Like, did, did anybody actually not know that? Does he think that anybody didn't know that? 
Does he really believe that people didn't know that Iraq was a major oil-producing country? And that's why we should have taken the oil? And in the end, what's he talking about? I mean, it's, it's the 21st century. We're not in the 1600s where you conquer a country and take all its natural and plunder it and sell the people into slavery and steal everything. You don't get that as the spoils of war. You know who does that? That's ISIS. They do that. They take the women and children and sell them into slavery and steal the oil and steal all the money and plunder the resources, take all the food and kill people and behead them. That's not what we do in 2000. When the U.S. military going out there and stealing everything from the host country, and Iraq is supposed to be an ally of ours. It's just, I, I don't even, you know, sometimes you don't even know what to make of it. Some of the things that he's saying. But, well, I don't know. What can I say? Maybe you just can't take him seriously. If that, you know, maybe that's the case. You're just not supposed to take some of the things that he says seriously. But, you know, then we really shouldn't bother. I mean, the, probably the guy should just turn around and say, look, this is who I am. I am who I am. I'm going to stop talking now. Everybody knows me. I have 100% name recognition. There's no reason for me to do anything. See you on November 8th. And probably that's kind of what Hillary had been doing for the whole summer, is just basically laying low and trying to stay out of the spotlight after she realized after the convention that Trump would continue to just hurt himself. But, you know, the fact is that Donald Trump has a way of dominating the airwaves, of sucking up all the ash, of winning the media cycle. And you call, and even when he loses the media cycle, I think he feels that he wins it. So it's just, he has a way of, you know, of fundamentally dominating it that people continue to feel that, well, they should vote for him. But the other thing that was actually more scary. And what leads me to this point of why I find the fact that I can't vote for Donald Trump is what he talked about when Matt Lauer asked him, do you do no more than the generals? And he suggests that he's going to purge the generals. Well, he says, when I get you know the plan for ISIS, it's going to be different generals when I get there, when I get into office. Basically suggesting that he's going to purge the top military brass. Now, two things are a problem with this. Number one, the incredible politicization of the military. I mean, he thinks that, obviously, our upper brass, he doesn't think very highly of them. He apparently wants his own people. And that he would then install in the military. We, we don't do that. That's just not an American thing, that you come in and you replace the military brass. Yes, we replace people at the Pentagon. That's a political appointment. But you try and keep politics out of the military. The other thing is, legally, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and many of the other the, 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 the chiefs of the various branches, they actually have terms. They have terms of office, and those terms don't coincide with the president's term. And you would hope that Donald Trump would know something like that. But, well, maybe not. So, I don't know what to make of all this. I'm getting a little bit, well, it's just disappointing what's going on in, in our electorate. You know, how our primary process got us to where we are. Why is it that a mainstream Democrat, other than a Democratic Socialist named Bernie Sanders, didn't run against Hillary with all her flaws, with everything that we knew was going to come out. 
And the other thing is, why did the Clintons, why did Hillary continue if she knew she could run for president? Clearly knew for eight years she was going to run for president after Obama was done. Continue with this foundation stuff. It just defies any type of logic, any type of... It's just a more political malpractice. But two things as we kind of end off. Two points I wanted to make. Well, actually, one point um, that specifically, and then, you know, just that uh, kind of a public service message. And this is Spin Class here on the Malcolm Siegel Network. And we are on the... Well, let me start with first... The Jewish Telegraphic Agency, the very nice political coverage, but they just wrote a doozy of an article this week, and it bears mention because it's so incredibly ridiculous. They talk about the fact that Donald Trump will do well in the Haredi community in Brooklyn, and they give a number of examples, and one of them is because Haredi won't vote for a woman. And they talk about the, the leadership, whatever. It, it, it's the most ridiculous thing that I've heard, because there's no data actually to back that up at all. And let me just say here now, I would be shocked if Donald Trump outperforms Mitt Romney, John McCain, and George W. Bush in the Haredi community in Brooklyn and elsewhere. I don't think he will. I don't think, I think he will actually underperform. And on top of uh, so if you come with the premise that Orthodox Jews vote Republican, that's a story that's been written over and over and over. You come with that premise that that's what they do. And you say, well, Donald Trump is this crazy candidate that he's appealing to all the Haredi in Brooklyn. Well, if he's better, that, that you're basically saying he's a better candidate because he's got this special appeal. So he should be outperforming. If he's going to underperform, which most people think that he's, like, that he's likely to do, or let's see, most people on the ground feel he's likely to do, you don't have much of a story. But the other thing about not voting for a woman, Hillary Clinton ran for state for, for U.S. Senate in 2000 and 2006, and she won the Orthodox vote handily in that time. In the Brooklyn vote handily. And in the April 19th against Bernie Sanders, a man... She got 70% plus in much of Orthodox Brooklyn. So the whole thing is just ridiculous. The idea that the Haredi community will not vote for a woman. I mean, in Curious Joel, they voted for Sean Patrick Bologna, who married in the last campaign two years ago, married his husband. Okay, that's a man marrying another man. Openly gay. And no problem, because that's, okay, they voted for whoever they wanted to vote for, and I have no problem with that. But the idea that they won't vote for women is just, it's just when people say ridiculous things, and there is nobody out there, and this becomes a news article. It's not opinion, a news article. I think the JTA could do better. Their political coverage is usually excellent. I don't want to call out the reporter specifically. But it's just it's just disappointing that you would have this kind of, of coverage. And, you know, quoting experts and Republican political operatives, there's not a single person they quoted in the article. So we'll leave that aside. More importantly, September 13th, coming up this Tuesday, is primary day in New York. Yes, we've had primaries. We had a presidential primary in April. We had the congressional primary back in the end of June. And because we're New Yorkers, we vote again. In September, September 13th, Tuesday, coming up. There are a lot of important races out there. But one particularly that needs mention is up in Rockland County. 
And I want to mention this because Ellen Jaffe, who's the incumbent Democratic Assemblywoman, who has been an incredible antagonist of the Orthodox community throughout New York. And if you think it just matters to people in Rockland County, it doesn't. She opposes anything that helps the Orthodox community anywhere in the state. In fact, I understand that she opposed the bill that was recently passed, and kudos to uh, State Senator Felder and Assemblyman Sabanowitz for passing a law that would say that the medical examiners have to notify or attempt to notify the families of unclaimed bodies. Usually in the past, you've had 48 hours and they could basically ship off the bodies of your loved ones. It's incredible. But Ellen Jaffe apparently opposed that, and this woman has opposed everything that would help the Orthodox community continually. And I have to say, if you can, if you live up there, should vote this woman out of the office. Don't, not so familiar with the opponent, but it really doesn't matter. Send the message to this woman, to Ellen Jaffe, who is an antagonist, unfortunately a Jewish antagonist, of our community. Tremendous uh, dis- dislike for our community and has generally does everything she can to hurt the Orthodox community in her district and beyond throughout the state. So that's my endorsement for this week. Thanks for listening. Hope to catch you again next week here on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph.